The second reading comes from 1 Timothy 5, uh, verse 17 uh, to 6 to. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning you are to reprove before everyone, so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who, have believe, those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning. It's, um, as we grow up, isn't it good to have wise leadership? I mean, I think all of us with children would hope that we would be wise leaders of our children, that our children would learn from us, uh, would understand about life and how to respond to life, how to make good decisions in life. It's something that uh, any parent uh, would like to happen. It's something that we would hope would happen with those who lead us in local government, in state and federal government. Uh, sometimes they're in there for the wrong reason what they can get out, but sometimes they're there for the right reason. We're hoping that they're going to make decisions that will be good for us, understanding what's going on and understanding the, the issues that affect us and make the right response to that uh, rather than necessarily a political or party line or necessarily their own, uh, own perspective. Leadership's important. We uh, experience the effects of it every single day in whatever we do. In the church, we experience the effects of leadership. We just come from Synod, uh, the government of the church, uh, meeting over the last week and the week before for five days. And um, there's some things happening in the national and international church that affect us here. Um, we don't want to be affected by it, but we can't help to be affected. Uh, it's all to do with um, uh, blessing of, of same-sex marriage. Um, now, just to clear the air, um, we in the church have nothing against gay people. In fact, the gay relationships where they're like brothers and sisters together is good. And the Bible says that's how we all should be like brothers and sisters together in such, such a friendly, supportive uh, relationship. We have the problem of sexual intimacy. The Bible says sexual intimacy should only happen in a marriage between a man and a woman. That's our issue. That's what the Bible says. That's what the whole issue is about. When you hear this discussed everywhere, you don't hear that. That's all we're talking about, that sexual intimacy, man or woman, special thing that God gives in a marriage only. And so um, we've got people in the Anglican Church, which we're a part of. Uh, first of all, we pray for uh, New Zealand today. Our, our friends from our church started a church over there. They tried to join the Anglican Church over there. They wouldn't have them because they're from Sydney. 
Uh, so they made the mistake doing that because Rowan's now got about 450 people in his church and it's going skyrocketing and it's not looking back. It's their mistake. Um, Rowan's exercising good leadership because he's teaching from the Bible and he's, he's teaching it very clearly to people to understand and for them to make their own decisions based on what the Bible teaches them, not based on decisions, follow me, I'm your leader, do as I say, but follow the, I'm the leader, do as the Bible says. And so people get to know God and the Bible and make good decisions in life. That's what Timothy's told in, in this letter, to be that sort of leader. And leaders are important because if you get the wrong leaders, like some parts of the Anglican Church now are saying when they read the Bible, uh, they take a bit here and a bit there and put it together and make it say what they want it to say. And that becomes dangerous. Um, it becomes misleading. And uh, I heard uh, one account of this at Synod uh, where someone was talking about um, about the whole gay debate and, and having a go at the, the Anglican Church in Sydney about you shouldn't be casting the first stone, we're all sinners, don't be casting the first stone. And that was quoting from a passage in the Bible, but someone got up and politely and friendly and, and helpfully uh, just explained it a bit further. That passage has three things happening. First of all, Jesus protecting a woman who's been caught in adultery from being bullied by the religious leaders. Secondly, He's, um, he's actually uh, saying to people, you know, if you're without sin, you, you have to cast the first stone. And thirdly, he then says to her, sin no more. So there's more than just happening, you know, don't cast the first stone, you know, but he's actually protecting her and he's actually making a statement that what she's doing is wrong and needs to change. And sometimes we get the problem with people in other churches, um, other parts of Australia, are taking a bit here and making it say what they want rather than reading context. We're going to look at something today in context. Context is important in the Bible. Um, God is not a sort of God who makes mistakes or contradicts himself. Um, he's not like you and me that can say one thing and do something else later. He doesn't do that. And so the Bible's not going to contradict itself. We need to read it carefully. But that leadership's important because what you see now in this, the diocese that have taken the Bible and twisted it into what they wanted to say and moved away from what God's saying are now having trouble in knowing what to do because it's too flexible. And some people are arguing, as we talked the other week, it's called postmodernism. It says, um, what I regard as true is true for me and you can't tell me it's not. And you can have your own truth and it's true for you, but I can't tell you what the truth is. The truth is something you perceive yourself and you have total control over. No one can tell you not and you've got to tolerate everyone with different perspectives. That's what we often hear coming out um, about this gay marriage stuff. The problem is the Bible says that God is truth. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so in the whole perspective, if I know the truth and you know the truth, where's God and Jesus fit in there? Well, they don't usually fit. Well, they're adapted. And so that's a dangerous, difficult situation. And then you've got people saying all different things. How do you come together? It's all over the place. And what's true today can be different true tomorrow and different true the next day. And that truth can keep changing for you as you will and as you want to. And that's the problem that they have. We say, no, the truth is in God. The truth is what God said in the Bible. Yes, you've got to do a bit of work to understand it, but it's constant and reliable and unchanging and answers the core things to life. We're going to look today at a passage that's looking more about leadership. It's going to talk about the qualities of a leader. And we're going to see these qualities of a leader that talked here about 2,000 years ago are really vital today and make sense. 
And if a leader doesn't have these qualities, he's going to be all over the place. And in the end, he's going to make a shipwreck of his leadership, a shipwreck of those people following him. It's going to be messy. And you've only got to look at some of the dioceses that have gone this way and their churches are just about had it and it's really messy because they don't have the truth. So let's have a look at it today, bearing that in mind. It's going to talk about leaders. Um, and now, yeah, it's talking about me. I'm a leader, so it's talking about me. Um, but it's also talking about other people because we looked before. There are other people leading the church, people leading in ministries, in youth, in children, in small groups, Bible studies. Anyone is a leader. But also, if you're a leader, people are following you, aren't you? That's is that the idea of a leader. You lead, people follow. And don't the followers, shouldn't they be like the leaders and going the direction of the leaders? So as this talks about leaders, it's also talking about those they lead. It's also talking about all of us. And these ways of the qualities of a leader should be the qualities that we should have. We should seek and encourage. We should value. Let's have a look at those qualities. First of all, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, he talks about the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, are worthy of double honour, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. Uh, elders are leaders in the church, are ministers, um, and it's a, it's, we know in chapter 3 it's a noble task, needs to be appreciated, recognised, have respect for them as uh, preachers and teachers, so listen and learn from them. And uh, it's interesting thing here, it says the word especially in verse 17, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. That's a problem. Doesn't seem like it, does it? Um, but back in chapter 3, um, it says, verse 2, that says anyone who's an elder should be able to teach and preach. And uh, so they're all, that's what they're supposed to do. Leaders are supposed to, elders are supposed to teach and preach. Well, here he says especially, almost like there's two classes. There's one class that does administrative pastoral stuff. There's another class that teach and preach. That comes from Calvin, a great theologian back in the Reformation, the 1500s. He saw that. He's not quite right because we're quite clear in this book it says all elders are to preach and teach, not especially those, they're all to do that. And so the better translation would be the elders who direct the church, that is those who preach and teach. Not especially but those who preach and teach. Slight change, isn't it? Doesn't, doesn't really make much difference here. But that's what we see sometimes in the Bible. There can be a word that can be translated a number of ways in the Greek to the English. And number one, you look at it in context, but number two, you look back in the same um, book and say, is there anything else relating to this? And if you go back relating earlier and say, hang on, it says everyone should do that. Well, it can't be especially, it must be all of them. How do we then translate the word? It's just a little trick. Nothing much here, but sometimes it can be a problem for people if they get the wrong one. And he's saying those who are doing the preaching and teaching, they were worthy of double honour. They should be respected for the role they do, but also remunerated, uh, given some money. In the Old Testament, the priests were supported by the people. In the New Testament, uh, the pastors are supported so they can devote themselves more to the work. And then he gives that interesting verse about, um, uh, verse 18. Do not muzzle the ox while it's treading the grain. The oxes used to walk around, they have a grindstone here, they walk around, they'd be treading the grain, the grain would be grinding up. But the ox would be able to eat as it went. You know, there'd be some chaff around stuff from the grain, the ox would eat as it went. It was customary to feed the ox because it was doing the work. If God's concerned for working animals to be adequately fed, how much more will he be concerned for church workers? He wants church workers to be adequately looked after too. 
And so the reason also is in this book verse, you can't see it back in um, verse 17. It says those who work. The uh, word for work can also mean toil. It does, in fact, mean toil. It doesn't mean work as in, oh, fun work, easy work. It means hard work, toil. That's what the word means in the original language. And so he's saying those who are preaching and teaching, it's hard work. And they're the ones who are doing it conscientiously, they're doing it carefully, but it's going to be hard and you need to look after them. That's what it's saying. So the appreciation of people who are doing those ministry roles. I mean, I know in our church, um, you know, people in ministry roles, like, I'll, I'll put up the other stuff. The other stuff, I've got a lot of part-time stuff, you know, one day here, a half a day here, one and a half days here. You know, you can add them up, I think it's about seven or eight days all told. That's what we pay them for. We get double or triple that out of them. They're too conscious. I have to actually say to them, hey, are you having your day off? Are you having a break? Slow down a bit. We're going too hard. Um, it's not saying, come on, where are you doing it? It's actually slow down. That's the common thing. I know with clergy, I'm in a clergy retreat group. The common thing that comes up with clergy is they just get so run down. I mean, it's working so hard. They haven't taken leave. They haven't taken days off. haven't taken long service leave. They just wear themselves out because they're so conscientious for the job. And we've got a regular saying. I met a guy at Sinan just yet recently. He joined us. He was so run down. He was all over the place. And we found out that was his problem. And we said, look, you, you, know, you need to take long service. You need to start taking days off. Take a bit of leave. But you need to take long service leave. He just came back from 10 weeks long service leave. He's a different guy. Totally different. Everyone sees that he's totally different. Because he's just been going so hard. This guy's a guy who played for Australia Rugby Union. He played at uh, the state cricket level. He's a really keen sportsman. Uh, really throws himself into everything. But threw himself into ministry and got burned out. So, so the leader needs to appreciate that. And the leader needs to say, come on, slow down. People need to appreciate the leader. The leader also needs to appreciate what people are doing. Appreciation. Then there comes Fairness. Uh, it turns from uh, good pastor still. So how do you deal with someone who's doing the wrong thing? How do you have to rebuke someone? Well, he says in verse 19, if there's an accusation, it needs to be made by uh, two or three witnesses. Why is that? Well, because um, Christian workers, gospel workers, uh, people like to take vengeance. It's easier to slander them. Uh, there's enemies out there that want to make trouble for them. And so he says, look, you've really got to have more than one person, um, you know, Having a, having a complaint about it. If it's a serious accusation, yes, you need to deal with it, um, but uh, you need to just uh, not listen to gossip. There's lots of gossip out there. See if it's got s substance to it before you deal with it. And so if you're dealing with it, verse 20, if it's proven, you admonish the person privately. So, you know, they change. If they don't change, it says here, if they, uh, if they sin, so the word in the actual original language is in present tense, which means continue to sin, so if you've spoken to them and they're continuing to sin and because you're in a public role, people see this and if people see them doing it, they think, oh, okay, it's all right for him to do it, it's all right for us to do it, the church is doing nothing about it, it must be okay, we'll do it. So this sin will then spread to other people too. It's got to be dealt with. And if it's done in public and not changed, it needs to be publicly dealt with. So people can learn from that. So... Appreciation, fairness, impartiality. It says in verse 21, a charge in the sight of God, of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, so the heavens, to keep these instructions without partiality, do nothing out of favoritism. Nothing out of partiality. Even if someone's popular, even if they're popular, even if it's going to have a huge impact on the ministry of the church, you still do the right thing. 
You know, we got safe ministry, it's called. It's uh, particularly come out of uh, uh, the commission into uh, children and it protects children and youth in what we do in our church. It's really strong. I mean, you read about in other places, there's nothing compared to ours. Ours has been the benchmark and light years ahead of the rest of Australia for a long time. Um, you know, back in 1994, I was involved in helping put this together. We took it to the Anglican Church of Australia and they wouldn't have a bar of it. Sorry. The big one was some diocese picked up, but most of them said, no, nah, we don't want that. We don't need that. Now it's all proved they, they should have done something about it. And some were actually covering it up um, since then. But what that means is that if someone makes an allegation about things, uh, we've got a whole procedure of how to deal with it. And it's dealt with very clearly and firmly. It's not made public. We don't go and tell people about it. Um, but we, get, we have a thing we start. We've got people to go and investigate it and, and do whatever needs to be done. But it's definitely done. in no, There's no favouritism. It can be made about me. It can be made about anyone. And it's going to be dealt with in a very proper, right way. Uh, we, don't, we, we definitely don't want to let people come in and make a complaint uh, just to tarnish someone and, and blacken them. That's why we do it privately. But even though it's dealt with privately, it's still locked in that it's very much accountable in how it goes. And so if something happens, I then start a process by inform the bishop or inform the bishop's assistant and he informs the diocese and everyone knows that it's going on and they'll keep check to make sure it's dealt with in the right way. That's how we're doing impartiality and not showing favoritism. That's one example of it. But we need to do that because we don't want to just be, be sort of a mates club. Because we're mates, we don't do anything. Because we're mates, we look after things. No, we need to be um, godly people who see that when things are going wrong, we need to deal with them in a way that turns around, corrects them. And if it needs some uh, stepping down, like sometimes people need to step down from things to think about it, then we need to do that. We don't show partiality to anyone be strong and clear in that partiality caution uh, sometimes when there's a need for someone to fill a spot we try to try and get someone to thrust them in and find the first person that comes along and put them in a spot that's a dangerous thing because if we make quick judgments like that we might put the wrong person in the position so it talks in here verse 21 i charge inside of god without instruction uh verse 21 that's not 21 um, 20, 22. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands. Do not share the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Laying on of hands, like you're going to arrest them or you're going to do violence to them, doesn't it? You know? It's not talking about that. Laying on of hands in the Bible is, is a friendship thing of supporting someone, putting your hands on them and praying for them and commissioning them for a ministry. It's done publicly. It's actually a, a <coughs> commissioning supportive process. And we're told to not do that hastily. Not rush with that. We need to pick people out who are going to be teachable and godly and available and are going to grow in that ministry and they're not to be a recent convert in chapter 3, verse 6. And the best way to avoid the scandal back in verse 20 of people doing the wrong thing is to pick the right people. And particularly, we've got the MTS system, which is where people come on board for two years and do some uh, apprentice training and, and experience a whole lot of ministry while they uh, learn about things and, and we discuss things with them. And particularly that is designed to test them out in a number of scenarios and see how they cope. Because if you think being a, in ministry in a church is just going to be easy all the time, you really haven't got it. It's going to sometimes have really test you out. So the MTS program tests them out, not breaks them, but tests them out seeing how they respond. And some people, everyone, no one can deal with things and everyone's going to reach a point where they can't deal with it. Well, what do you do when you can't deal? Will you get upset and angry and withdraw or do you put up your hand and say, can I help? Can I have some help, please? I need help. I need to learn that. 
And we want people to put up their hand and get help, who recognise their limitations and seek some help to grow. So that's the idea of not being hasty in applying someone for that job, being careful to choose the right person. I like verse 23. Stop drinking any water, use a little wine, because your stomach, your frequent illnesses. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul knew Timothy. Paul knew he had some health issues. A lot of people had health issues that day. The water wasn't like our water. The water in many places was polluted. You couldn't, sometimes you couldn't even drink it. You had to drink wine um, because there wasn't any bottled water around in those days or soft drink. It was either the local water or wine or maybe some sort of beer stuff. That's all you could drink. And wine actually, in those days, it was known to have some medicinal purposes. It would kill some bugs. It would settle the stomach. We're not t- we're talking a little wine. I think a little wine maybe is a glass, not a bottle or a cask. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe someone's saying, I'm really sick, I need a lot of it. <laughs> and once you get to a certain point, you don't feel anything. Uh, no. But it's interesting. Paul knows Timothy. And Paul telling me how to deal with all these people. But I said, on the personal level, have a little bit of wine here to help you along. That's a really wise thing for him to do. So, caution. And finally, discernment. Um, you've heard of the iceberg principle. In an iceberg, how much stands above the water? About a tenth? Tenth. One tenth. So nine tenths is below the water. What you see above the water is only a fraction of what's um, below the water. And the iceberg principle applies to each and every one of us this morning, today. Because what we see in someone's life is only one tenth of who we are. We see the public side of it. Even if you're living with someone, you only see the public side. You don't see everything that's happening in their mind and everything that's happening when you're not around. Um, There's a lot going on in people's lives. And so we only ever see a little bit of that. And so there needs to be a caution in um, if you rush in and uh, get people at first sight because they look good and ask them to be in ministry, uh, you might not know what's hidden and what's going to come out, what their hidden weaknesses are. You need to look at that. And sometimes it comes out. Look at verse 24. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching to the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. Sin. That rebellion against God. Sometimes it's obvious and, and can be seen. Sometimes it's not obvious, but it'll come out. I used to be a policeman. I used to like the merry-go-round principle. You know merry-go-rounds? The merry-go-round principle is um, that you know when you put a kid on a merry-go-round, you put them on here and they go around, they come back, hello, and they go past and keep going around. So they keep coming back to where you are and you keep seeing them every lap, don't you? And you know they're going to come back because it keeps going around. Well, I used to find that with criminals. Yeah, you, know, you see a criminal and he get away. And he'd get away, and, oh, he's got away. But then he'd come back and do something else dumb and you might miss him again. Then he'd go around. And he'd keep going round around the merry-go-round until you caught him. Because he thought he was getting away with it. And that's this thing about sin. You think you're getting away with sin. You think it's okay. I'm not getting caught. It's not so bad. And you keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it until you get caught out. It comes out in some way, blows up in some way. That's what it's saying. Sin has a way of, of disrupting our life. If we rebel against God and keep making bad decisions, sooner or later it impacts us. Maybe not immediate. We think we're getting away with it, but over time it's going to hit us. Also says the same thing about good. Verse 25. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, even those that are not, even those that are not, cannot be hidden. Uh, good deeds. People doing good deeds. You might, and the Bible says, Jesus said, um, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So if you're doing something good for someone, don't show people 
Make it very quiet. Jesus said, your father who sees in heaven will reward you. Okay, so you're doing that. But if you're doing that, sooner or later it's going to come known because, in fact, if you're doing this person, this person, this person, and suddenly you've done pretty well, everyone's done it, everyone knows about it. Well, pretty well, everyone. So it's going to come out. If you're doing good over and over and over, not drawing attention to yourself, not trying to get credit, but it's going to slowly become known because so many people are going to experience it. Dorcas, a lady in the Bible, a funny name, but this Dorcas died. Uh, Paul went to where she was in Joppa in, um, in uh, Acts chapter 9. Uh, she was dead. And when she was dead, all these widows came out. Dorcas was a widow herself, but all these widows came out showing the things that Dorcas had made for them. All these beautiful robes and beautiful clothes. whole stack of people. Good deeds that she'd done quietly, not wanting anyone to know about it, but then everyone was coming out showing them. And then Jesus ended up raising Dorcas to new life. But Dorcas was a widow. We looked the other week about widows. You know, widows are supposed to be cared for by the church, but widows serving other widows or senior men serving other senior men. We looked at that the other week. And that's the idea. Dorcas was doing that. She was doing these good deeds. And so leaders need to be discerning who's out there doing things, what's being shown in people's lives. And particularly if you're not hastily putting people in the leadership roles, you get time to see what happens. Why is all this important? Because if we're going to be led by anyone, we want to be led by the right person. The person who's going to be interested for us and not for themselves. The person who's going to, as the Bible says, give us servant leadership. The servant leadership that Jesus modelled where he came to lay down his life as a ransom for us. Jesus knew we had a problem that we couldn't fix up. He knew that we couldn't be perfect, that we're facing the wrath of God. We couldn't earn our way to heaven because the standards be perfect. We'd never be good enough. He knew that the only way that we could get right with God was someone take our punishment. He lived the perfect life and so therefore he's able to take our punishment. When he died on the cross, God laid on him the wrath, all his anger against sin, the Bible tells us that in the middle of the day, from 12 to 3 o'clock, it went dark, night time. And God was pouring the wrath and anger on Jesus. He suffered on the cross. And then Jesus went to heaven. And Jesus paid the price so that we could be forgiven. And that's servant leadership. Leaders are a person who really is interested and cares for you. And that sort of person is easy to follow, easy to listen to. Because they know they care. Not just me. Yeah, you can all look at me. And you are, because I'm up the front. But you. If you're in any sort of leadership role in the church, or what about you and your own family? What about as husband and wife? What about with children? What about with grandchildren? Don't you want to exercise a leadership role? Sure you do. And are you? You need to. What about servant leadership? What about these sort of qualities? What sort of leader would that make you? an exceptional leader, a leader worth following. There's five things that come out, qualities that leaders need. Appreciation. They affirm outstanding performance. They see people doing stuff, say, well done, keep going, that's great. Fairness, not listening to any unsubstantiated accusations. Impartiality, avoiding favouritism. Caution, not reaching, not reaching hasty decisions. And finally, discernment, always looking beyond the outward appearance to the heart of a person. Let me pray. Jesus, you're a great model for us in servant leadership.
And Lord, we want to have leaders like that. We thank you for people like our Archbishop who's leading us through the, the whole crisis that's going on uh, in other places, but not in our diocese. Um, but we thank you that we've got wise leadership there as to how we respond. Father, we also want to be wise in our own lives and wise in our families and wise in our ministries in the church. And we don't know when something's going to come that's going to really challenge us and make life difficult. We want to be people who can make a wise response to that. Help us to be good leaders in every place we are. Help us to have these qualities to appreciate and be fair and impartial and cautious and, and discerning. Help us to make wise decisions that will benefit us and the people around us. And we pray in your name. Amen.